Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Tammy Wynette sang about it. A whole lot of people experience it. What am I talking about? D-I-V-O-R-C-E, divorce. But today we're going to look at this subject from a decidedly biblical perspective. Here to guide us on this journey is our own Dr. Jennings, who joins us via Skype. Dr. Jennings, why, in your estimation, does divorce happen, and does it have a biblical basis? Divorce happens because God's design for life, health, and relationships breaks down, period. God's designs are perfect. They revive the soul. They bring life to our being. And relationships built and operating on God's design thrive. So when divorce occurs, you can be sure something happened somewhere in the hearts and minds of at least one of them that resulted in the fracture of the relationship. And I say at least one of them. I never really judge those things because none of us are inside a marriage relationship to really know all the nuances there. But I give an example of a not a marriage relationship, but a relationship that broke down and ended in betrayal as an example that even if you could be perfect in every way, Jesus and his relationship with Judas ended in betrayal, Mm -hmm. even though Jesus was flawless because healthy relationships require healthy people. And if you're in a relationship with someone who is bent on betrayal and exploitation, you cannot have a healthy relationship. It will eventually break down. So why do divorces happen? Well, we live in a world of sin and hearts and minds of human beings are infected with fear and self-centeredness and people will pursue their own agenda, even hurting others to get their agenda, to make them feel better. And they will not practice in relationship, in marriage even, what God would have practiced in how we treat each other. And that's why divorce happens. And then we look at the Bible, and it seems in certain places that God puts his stamp of approval on divorce. You want a divorce? Well, here's how it's done, and here's what, here's what the requirements are. So go and have a divorce. Is that what we're seeing? Let's set up the tension. We clearly have God giving directions for writs of divorcement through the laws of Moses to the people of Israel. There's no question that 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 occurred. We also have Jesus being confronted about the question and saying that this is not how it was always from the beginning. And he quotes Old Testament, I think it's Malachi, God hates divorce and he doesn't want divorce to happen and only for marital unfaithfulness or betrayal or adultery. And uh, we can talk about the Greek and what that means. Did God permit this? And Jesus said, except for the hardness of your heart, there would not have been divorce. So how do we put all this together that God hates it, but he permitted it? What does all that mean? It's very simple. How do you understand law to work? If you understand law to work like human law, simply a system of rules and legalities that happen when you go into court and you file the right motions and you pay the right fees and you get a judgment in or against your favor, blah, 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 then marriage is simply a legal contract and it can be legally dissolved like any business partnership. You go into business with somebody and you have a legal contract. We are now, quote, partners. Uh, And then you have a falling out. You go into court and you fight over the assets and you dissolve the partnership. Sadly, for many people, they view marriage this way. This is not how God designed marriage. That's human law. 
God designed marriage on design law, how reality works. Two hearts joined together in love in which life actually flows through their relation with God, through the hearts and minds of the individuals. They thrive, and and two people united in godly marriage become more and achieve more and experience more and develop more and have aspects of reality open to them that they could never have as a single entity or individual. It doesn't mean they couldn't be godly and righteous and virtuous. Look at, at Daniel, look at Jesus himself as our earthly human savior. They never had marriage relationships, but in the marriage relationship, it opens up certain elements of God's design that are not achievable as a single person. What are those elements? The obvious one would be procreation, mm-hmm. okay, and being a parent of a, of a small child and raising that child. There are elements of human love and experience and self-sacrifice and wisdom and decision-making that you were never faced if you actually have never had that experience. Mm-hmm. And so that would be an element. Of course, God has that experience being the creator, so he doesn't procreate with marriage, and Jesus didn't need to procreate to have that experience because he's a creator and has many children that he's created. But that would be an example for a created being. But back to the question of divorce how, why, and what happens. Right. I, I was just trying to establish that God's design for a relationship is design law, not, not artificial made-up rules that humans make impose law. And so the metaphor that you should understand how all it fits together and why God hates divorce, yet God prescribed specific actions in how to achieve a divorce and when it was proper and even righteous to carry out a divorce, you simply understand the concept of what gangrene is and amputating a limb. So you could say doctors hate amputating limbs. They hate it. God hates divorce. Mm -hmm. Hate it. And you only amputate limbs when the circulation breaks down Mm -hmm. and the limb is dying. And if you don't amputate the limb, you lose the whole person. Mm -hmm. And you only divorce, amputate a relationship, cut off a dead part. When the heart is hardened, the arteries have hardened and blood doesn't flow into the foot, so you cut it off. The heart hardens and love doesn't flow in the in the hearts and therefore in the relationship anymore, and damage and destruction is coming to the minds and souls of the two parties. Therefore, in that circumstance where, where death is flowing into the system because love isn't flowing anymore, it is better to sever the relationship, cut off the limb, cut off the, the marriage, than to allow a dysfunctional and abusive relationship to destroy both parties. That's what God is saying. He hates it, just like doctors hate seeing a gangrenous foot. And we, we'd much rather revascularize it, opening up, do a bypass, get blood flowing it. God would much rather heal the heart and get love flowing in the heart and have the relationship thrive again. But if the person will not open the heart, will not repent, will not be transformed, it is better to sever the relationship than allow a dysfunctional relationship to destroy both parties. Okay. Divorce is something that God doesn't want. He hates it. He doesn't like it, but he likes one thing better, and that is your eternal soul, your eternal life. He likes you better than the limb. Would I be right in saying that? Well said. Jesus used the metaphor to you know, better pluck out your eye or yeah, cut off your yeah, hand yeah. to go into the kingdom. He used the same metaphor, trying to get us to the same point, that if you have something that's destroying you, including a dysfunctional marriage relationship— It is better to lose the relationship than to lose your soul. Okay. How do we know when we've reached that point in a relationship, Dr. Jennings? Does it take someone like you to tell us, or is there something we feel in our heart? How do we know when, oh my goodness, this is gangrene. I need need to get out of this. 
How would you know whether your foot is gangrene? Well, okay, maybe you can't tell early on that circulation is, it just aches and it hurts and yeah. it's in pain. So you can feel there's something wrong. My, my heart's in pain. The relationship is, is difficult. I get hurt all the time by ugly words being said. Maybe you can tell it's, it's, it's dying yet, but, but you can tell something's wrong. Uh, eventually a foot will turn color. It'll turn black. Yeah. Eventually it'll start to rot and stink. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the evidence of the quality of the relationship itself will eventually inform you that the way it's functioning and you can just step back and ask, is this relationship rejuvenating me? The overall experience, of course, in every relationship, there are stressful times and moments and issues to work through. But the overall landscape, since you came into the relationship and you look back, say you've been in a relationship for five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever, over the course of those years, have you been growing, developing, advancing in, in personal maturity, godliness, peace, joy? Have you been, have the fruits of the Spirit been manifesting? Has your soul been flourishing and growing because godly marriage, both parties flourish and grow? In an ungodly marriage, however, the parties are, are being damaged. It's draining, exhausting, less capable, less, less a more fearful, more insecure, more frightened, etc., so what's happening to you would be an indicator. It requires some understanding of the laws of God. Do you have liberty in your marriage, free to be yourself, free to disagree with your partner without reprisal, without fear of punishment, without fear of consequence? We don't marry people who are sinless. Right. We marry sinners. Yes. But a godly marriage is with a sinner who has had a new heart and right spirit. They've been reborn. They've died to the old self. And so a sinner— who is reborn in Christ's likeness, have in their heart, their desire, their intention is to be perfect for their spouse. And so when they inevitably have a day where they're irritable, they misstep, they, they messed up, in their own heart, they're already grieving that they let their spouse down, mm. even before their spouse informs them. And thus they repent and go, you know what? I was irritable. I didn't sleep well last night. You did not deserve my snappy response. I love you so much more than that. Would you please forgive me? And the spouse goes, of course, I knew you didn't mean it. I know you, you want to be perfect for me. And of course, I forgive you. Thank you for saying that. And this is how healthy relationships work. Unconverted people in their relationships, though, when they have shortcomings, which we all do, they actually justify, well, I slept it, and you should understand, and it wasn't my fault anyway. Besides that, you got on my nerves, and you deserve that, and they blame the other person and so forth. So the Bible talks about adultery. Mm. Now, what is adultery? Some would say adultery is physical intimacies with somebody other than the spouse. Yes. And I will tell you, the Bible is very clear, that will always be adultery. Yes. <laughs> that, that, there's no question about that. But that word adultery is not restricted to simply the physical act itself. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, uh, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm -hmm. Jesus is helping us understand that the real issue is not about legal behavior, legal behavior. Did you touch this person in this way? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. That certainly can be a form of adultery, but the bigger issue has to do with the heart motives. Mm -hmm. And when you commit yourself to marriage and to love, honor, and cherish each other, forsaking all others to death, do you part? You commit more than the private physical parts of your body to each other. Mm -hmm. You're committing your heart's devotion to each other. And true adultery is betraying 
the trust and heart devotion of the other to exploit and take advantage of. And this is why in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9, 2 and 3, God talking about the Israelites, looking for people that would be loyal to him and said, I leave my people and and go away from them. They are all adulterers, Mm -hmm. a crowd of unfaithful people. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they were unfaithful because they kept giving their hearts to the to the false gods when their heart belonged to the Lord or was supposed to be given to the Lord. And so you can betray your marriage vow and commit adultery in ways other than physical intimacy with someone else. For instance, a wife who tries to murder her husband but hasn't had sex with someone other than her husband betrays her vow to love, honor, and cherish him till death do the part. Yes. Okay? And the Bible is very clear. Notice what James says in James 2, 10 and 11. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Mm-hmm. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Mm-hmm. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. The point is, all breaches in God's law are breakdowns of love and are selfishness taking advantage of another person. If you're doing that actively in your marriage, rather than stumbling and repenting. Further, if you understand how sin works, every act of sin hardens the heart of the sinner, sears the conscience, corrupts their character. When a man beats his wife, he hardens and perverts his own character. For a wife to stay in a relationship like that allows the husband to continue to participate in activities that worsen him. Her standing up can not only be protective for herself and her children, but she can righteously say, I love you too much to stand by quietly while you sear your own conscience, hard your own heart, and corrupt your own character in the way you mistreat me. I love you too much for that. I won't go along silently. So either get into anger management classes, get into help, and we can get into therapy and work this marriage out, or I'm leaving you. This program was sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for your words of guidance today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.